uh, turn with us to uh, First Chronicles, not San Francisco Chronicles. Samuel King's Chronicles. What a great Sunday we had last week. What a great day. Uh, so far, uh, 2.4 million has been committed. Uh, we haven't given it yet, but we committed it. <laughs> and uh, now we're just praying that God will energize us, enable us to carry through with what we uh, made the commitment to do. But thank God, uh, we are abundantly blessed. We've never had that high a commitment. Uh, and Robert Richardson himself was nervous. He just didn't, because it was teaching you about honoring God with your first fruits, the first half, and then going to this over and above, he was uh, very shaky, just didn't know if it'd be too much, whatever, but God's moved your heart, and you have stood with us, and I like to say some wonderful things like, it seems small, it seems non-eternal, but uh, we, we refurbish the outside of that family life worship because a precious saint gave us $40,000, and said, please get the building painted. So it's kind of easy to do when they give you a check. Uh, that kind of helps. Um, let's see, we, uh, uh, last week, uh, elders were able to authorize Ron Hughes to get a bid to replace the roof over there. We've been putting buckets out for four or five years. Uh, we're getting dry rot in certain rooms. We're ruining them, they're going down. And it costs us about ninety to a hundred thousand to replace the roof. Doesn't seem eternal, but guess what? We got to maintain it, and uh, we could release the funds last week because God has provided through His people. And thank God for your giving. Uh, all this acoustical treatment uh, overall is about one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. We saved money last year. We didn't have enough. Enough has come this year. We went ahead. This was a part of the original building that we weren't able to afford, and we finally, after about 11 years, able to catch up, and hopefully you'll get your hearing back, okay? And so uh, God is doing wonderful things, and uh, we just want to thank you, God's people who have been giving, praying, and believing with us. Uh, next week, I want to pick up the book of John. We'll begin at chapter 4, but I, I could not move on. Uh, from the stewardship thing until I looked at this great chapter in chapter 29 where David uh, has led the children of Israel to give to the Lord. And uh, he's now prays a prayer that is magnificent, uh, thanksgiving at what God has enabled them to do. Go with me to chapter 17. And uh, let me kind of set you up here before we look at Four different things. Uh, what they gave, uh, how they did it, uh, why they did it, and then uh, who was able to do it. So we're going to look at what they gave, we're going to look at how they did it, then we're going to look at uh, why they gave it, and then finally, uh, who was actually able to do this kind of giving. Look at David in uh, chapter 17. Uh, and David was settled in his palace. Now remember, this man hadn't always lived in a palace, right? 
grew up being a sheep herder, which was one of the lowest uh, social ladder vocations you could have. It was a dirty, lonely, cold, hot job. Uh, but now he is uh, in his own palace, and one day he said, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the Ark of the Covenant is under a tent. David replied to, uh, Nathan replied to David, what do you have in mind? Do it. Go ahead. God's with you. Well, uh, in the night, God tells Nathan, go tell David, uh, I've moved from tent to tent, and I'm not really looking for a place to hang out in that you could build for me. And so that I'm not bothered by not doing it. It's a great idea, David. Uh, but then he tells David, I took you from the pasture and all that God did for him. So God wasn't burning up to have a temple. It was David's idea. I I'm being blessed. I'm going to honor my God and do something moving and great. Well, you come over here to chapter 22 and uh, look at what he gave and the people of Israel. Verse 14, uh, God has told him, you won't get to uh, build the temple, but it didn't keep him from wanting to be a part of getting all the material and all that it took to build it together. So he hires stone cutters. He, uh, he gets plans going. He said, my son is young, inexperienced. This is his fourth son by Bathsheba. He had three other but God says, I want Solomon to be the king, not Adonijah, not others. So this is the fourth son. And so here he is. And so he starts taking this offering. Verse 14, I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord, a hundred thousand talents of gold. Now I brought my NIV Bible because they give the figures. 3,750 tons of gold. What's gold going for now? What is it? 1,900 an ounce. Did any of you give us gold in this offering? Can you imagine? In tons, not ounces, tons. Uh, 37,500 tons of silver. This is an offering? Uh... And they gave a million talents of silver, uh, quantities of bronze, rather, silver, quantities of bronze, and iron too great. Now, we don't think anything about iron, but Israel didn't have iron. The Philistines had the iron. And when they conquered the Philistines, they finally get access to swords, chariots made out of iron. Uh, we just take this stuff for granted. But in this time... This was big stuff just to even have access to iron. So they gave gold, they gave silver, they gave bronze, they gave iron, they had the stone cutters employed, on and on and on. Now when you come to chapter 29, I want you to see, this is one offering they gave, but now David says, uh, that represents the nation. I'm going to make a personal offering out of my own resources. Uh, and verse 3, besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, 
over and above everything I have provided, back here in chapter 22, for the temple. 3,000 talents of gold, 110 tons I like to give to God of gold. I want to give 260 tons of silver. I'm going to tell you, imagine being his banker, trying to track all this wealth. Uh, over and above everything else, I'm providing all this, overlaying of the walls. The walls will be covered in gold, silver. Let me say this. When you want to deal with finances, be tight with yourself. Don't be tight with God. Uh, we deal with these economic things in the church. Some people uh, don't want anything too nice in the church. Keep us looking poor, have uh, kind of shoddy, because we don't want folks to think we got a lot of money. No, be tight with yourself. But don't be tight with God's Word. If you want to be Ebenezer Scrooge, that's all right until you come to God. God wants us to be as generous. Wouldn't you kind of said, I can imagine some building committees. Aren't we getting carried away? Oh, God doesn't need gold. God doesn't need silver. God doesn't need nice stuff. Throw up anything. Throw up a chicken coop. Save us all kinds of work. Get material. No, no. David's estimate of God justified what he wanted to do for God. When your God's real small, you don't want to do anything hardly for him. But the view David had of God said, no, you don't know what this means to me to build something in honor of this great and mighty God. So he gave the largest offering in history that I know of to the cause of God. No one's ever beat this offering. No one. Uh, makes what we've done look like we're just beginning. But imagine this king, this shepherd boy, this boy that has survived all the, the wilderness experience to be able to, while he's living in his own palace, enjoying it, and all of a sudden he says, my God, my, we've got an ark down here in a tent that houses uh, are the presence of the glory of God. I see the pagans have got these temples. This, uh, I want to build something worthy of God, overwhelming, overwhelming his concept and what he wanted to, and God showed him the plan how to do it. So what they gave was over and over anything we can imagine. But how did they give it? What was their attitude? And he says here in chapter 29, uh, his leaders followed up. They gave a huge offering, uh, all kinds of gold. And it says in verse 9, for they gave freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Then you go down to uh, uh, verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people uh, who are here have given to you. O oh Lord God of our father Abraham and Isaac and Israel, 
Keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever. God says he loves a cheerful giver. It's just, it's not the size of the gift as much as the attitude, right? Uh, and Jesus comes along and says, uh, uh, even if you gave a widow's might, it's pleasing to God. Because he measured her gift by how much she had left, not how much she was able to give. If you're here without work, if you're here on fixed income, don't be intimidated by how small the amount may seem that you can give. God looks at your heart. God looks at your willingness. God looks at the motive, and God will reward you. We all have different capacities to give. It's the heart that counts. It, it's, I want to honor God with what I have, little or much. You know, I, uh, I, I was out on the road uh, different times for about seven years. I would hold youth meetings and uh, just a kid preacher. And I thought things were going to get better the bigger the churches got. Because, you know, they would take you a Sunday night offering, and that was, you know, that's the way they took care of you for the week. And there was no cutting checks. You just took an offering. Well, when I got beyond churches running 50, 60, 70, 100, I thought, I'm hitting pay dirt. I'm getting with the boys that can give the money. Most of the time, the bigger the church was, the smaller the offering. Our missionaries, they say the same thing. They go to churches, they're given $100 and told to keep going and don't take up too much time. You see, being a large church or having more money doesn't make you more generous. Uh-uh. I've been amazed at what poor folks have given. I've been amazed at widow's mites. I've been amazed at those little churches I was at that you just couldn't. I held a meeting one time in Seminole, Oklahoma, Brother Ford, five children. Every night we ate bologna sandwiches and drank iced tea, and I don't like either one that much. There was no going to any restaurants. There were no Denny's, not in Seminole. Seminole and Tecumseh, right there together. Uh, I was a grand evangelist at 19. And, uh, but th these offerings, very small congregation, maybe 100 people, country people, whatever, hardworking, blue collar. But you know what? The offering uh, to me was probably $200 for the week. To me, it was worth 1000 because of the people who gave it. What they had, their hardships, their struggles, that they weren't a well-heeled group. But David is saying, hey, uh, our people gave this willingly. They gave it with a right heart. You see, if you put a gun to my head, I'll give you everything I've got. But I didn't really give it, did I? And so you don't ever want giving to be a gun at your head. You want a, uh, an appeal to your heart not a gun at your head. Because we're giving, we don't want to be manipulated. We don't, uh, but now let me say this to you. Uh, that doesn't mean you should not be kept informed of needs. And I'm afraid you may want that kind of life. I don't want to know about needs. 
Wouldn't that be nice? There's nobody hungry. There's no poor people. Uh, but we went to a, a Malcolm and Joe head up. We had about three or four tables of us that went to First Resort uh, Banquet in Burlingame. You don't want to go to these banquets. They want money. I know that. I'm a pastor. If you go to the Bay Area Rescue, the, the meal is paid for, but they're hoping you will be a partner, you know. And they've got these cards you fill out and this. And, and I look over at Carolyn, I think, because uh, here uh, San Francisco's tried to put them out of business. They're involved in a lawsuit to get their uh, legal rights. And uh, here they're trying to, it's one thing to say you're against abortion. It's another thing, would you help a girl that's pregnant? That's what I loved about Falwell. While he's fighting abortion in those days, he started a home for unwed mothers in Lynchburg. That had more credibility to me than saying, I'm again it. What are you going to do for the girl that's carrying the baby? Well, let's bring her to church so we stone her and give her a lecture on morals. No, 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 no. I don't know all about the morals. I sinned. I'm wrong. I'm pregnant. You guys tell me I shouldn't abort. Is that right? Yeah. I, I'm broke. I don't have a job. The boys left. I'm on my own. Too bad, girl. That's your penalty. Because we're a grace church. We believe in the grace of God. Except if you're a pregnant girl. No, 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 no. No, you're supposed to help them, or aren't you? Well, they, they deserve it. Well, you deserve to go to hell, too. And God had mercy. God saved you from the rascal you and I were. This is about mercy. This is not about merit. None of us merit heaven. We need mercy. We need God to spare us from what we deserve. And so I lean over to Carolyn, and there's this time to fill out cards. I said, didn't we just do this? Weren't we just at the advanced commitment thing for the building program? Yeah. Well, what we need to tell her that needs end at Valley. We don't need to be going to any more giving banquets. Are you kidding? You mean she's got to go silent on the need just because we gave over here, as long as you have resources and there are needs, you can expect God to knock at your heart. Because you see, the basis of all of our stewardship is God owns it all anyway, and he can dispense it to whoever he will, but the reason he gave you resources was to meet needs. Turn, turn with me. Turn right now. Okay, come on. Some of you just staring anyway. Come on. I'm back. I know who sleeps. I've been watching you. <laughs> Look at Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 28. We, we seldom use this verse except to slap the hands of thieves. But notice, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's a good idea, especially if you attend this church. We don't want money missing. But must work. The, the, the antidote to stealing is to work. That's why prisons don't work, work. We sit around, give them iron to pump and TV and keep them locked up, and they never learn to work. They just come out buffed but don't know how to do anything. 
They need work. Work gives dignity, gives meaning. And we, we worked before the fall. Adam was to take care of the garden before the fall. Now watch this. He who's been stealing, don't do it anymore, but work. Doing something useful with his own hands that he may buy a fiare. That he may have a different home. No, no, no. First of all, that he may have something for his 401k. And that's nice. Bring it on, Lord. I'm all for it. That he may have something too. And that's why they don't want to run around with people that make less money than them. You don't want to run with a poor boy. Their needs are more than yours. And you'll always say, good night. You don't want to go on a vacation with them. They'll expect you to keep paying for the food. They'll expect you to pick up the tab. So you notice people usually on vacations go with somebody that makes at least as much as them. Because you can't have a good time. The guy's over here. I'd get a coat, but I don't have the money. That's a little extreme illustration, but I'm trying to show you. Most people economically run with those who are in the same economic strata. It makes you feel a bit better. And that's, that's fine. But it's amazing that our reason for working, one of them, a divine reason, is I want to have something to share with a guy in need. And God's work is always in need. It, it never ends. I mean, we meet the needs here at Valley. You got the needs here. You got the needs there. It, it's on and on. When we're walking out of the place, Malcolm tells me this missionary said, well, we need a raise. And then this one needs a, when does it end? It doesn't. When does God quit giving you money? When does God, when does your needs quit? When do you quit saying, give me, give me, give me, Lord? And if you give it to me, I don't want to pass it on. I just have a give me ministry. No, he said, I'll give it to you, but I want you to use some of it to meet needs. You, you use it to meet the needs of children, family, take care of those things. But always be on the alert. God may just want you to meet another need. So these people said, we gave willingly. We gave over and beyond. And to me, this is no big need compared to a poor man. No great need compared to reaching a man. But they wanted to honor their God, and they said, we, we were moved to do it willingly. We had internal motivation, no gun at our head. We saw what our king wanted to do. We saw what our leaders did, and the people all joined in. That's why it was moving to me last April when all of our deacons and elders pitched in $45,000 to help get us out of our deficit. And you people followed right behind them, and you outdid yourself. Thank God for the leaders that stepped forward and made a sacrifice to help us meet that need. And God honored it. God honored it. Well, why did they do this? What they gave millions, billions in today's dollars. Why they gave it? They gave it from a cheerful heart. That's how they gave it. Now, why? Why, why do you really want to give? Look at David's prayer, verse 10. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is what? 
the greatness and the power, sounds like the Lord's Prayer, and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from a good job. Oh, oh. Wealth and honor come from an inheritance. It comes from who? I heard a man tell me one time, God didn't build my company, I did. Foolish statement. He lost the company. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, I want you to listen, 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 listen. This is who we give to. Valley Bible gives a receipt, but it's God I'm giving to. I go through earthly channels. I give to First Resort. I give to the rescue mission. I give to this. I give to that. But ultimately, this is who I'm giving to. And he says, I want to praise you. And, and tell me how your, the word Lord is spelled in your Bible. Look. You got to look at it. Don't look at me. It's not on my forehead. Oh, Lord. How is Lord spelled? Capital L O. You know what that means? If it was God, it would be Elohim. And that was the name of God among the pagans. They had their gods. It would be Elohim. Then they would use master. They went to another word because they would never say this one because the Hebrew originally had no vowel pointings, so they just had your laterals. They would have Y-H-W-H. But it was the Masoretes that came along in about 300 B.C., and they added vowel pointings to add a way to pronounce it. The, the uh, Jews didn't buy it. They say, you only write it, you don't try to say it, because we don't know what the vowels were. They were afraid of blasphemy. So they would only say Yahweh, but not, not even, no, I said it. They would say, they wouldn't say it. They come to this name, and they would just write it, don't pronounce. Because this name was the name that was only used for those who were in covenant relationship with God. It became the name for God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was his name. And listen to what David says. You're the God of our father Israel, which usually stood for Jacob and the whole nation. From everlasting to everlasting, I am giving to the father of the nation. You are a majestic God that started with a moon worshiper, Abram, in Genesis 12, after the Tower of Babel, after the flood, after the nations have scattered, you looked up a boy down there in Ur of Chaldee. There was no Billy Graham's preaching friend. This guy was lost. If you don't believe in election, you don't believe in Abram. Who's going to evangelize Abram, this moon worshiper? God went down and chose him. God convinced him. God got him to leave Ur. And then he 
passed on a promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 15, 17, confirmed, confirmed again in chapter 22. And then he passes it on to Isaac. And then he passes it on to Jacob. And Jacob passes it on to Joseph. And so God was the father of a nation. And besides getting them out of a moon-worshiping society, he gets them as a bunch of slaves out of Egypt. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't know how to hold a sword. They only knew how to use a hoe and how to raise sheep. They'd raise cucumbers. They hadn't fought in armies. And God says, I am the father of this nation, and I can get a bunch of slaves across the Red Sea. This is the father. This is the God he's given to. Some of you, you know what? You don't have the right God. Keep your money. No wonder there's no motivation to give. If you can meet the God I'm talking about, this God is worth everything you could ever give or think about. He's my father. He's the father of the church. He's got his son resurrected on high in charge. This is no wimpy God that needs my offering. This is the almighty creator God that fathers nations and makes you born again by the spirit. I'm not just given to bimbo. I'm given to this mighty, majestic, eternal one called God, the creator of everything. That's who we're giving to. Not just we want to take an offering. This is who our God is. I'm feeling it coming back. I'm waiting for you to help me preach it. Now, if you'll breathe heavy, learn to amen. It always gets quiet when I'm gone. I hope you wake up. Uh, Lord, yours is the greatness and the power, the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Did you know when you get around God, you're getting around majesty and splendor? Like when we see him, this Revelation song, uh, I told Tim in the first service, all I'm going to do is get on my face and bow and say, you've got the might, you've got the power, you, you set buildings on fire, you make mountains quake, you make it so hot nobody could get up there. Mount Sinai moves, planets move. You are the majestic God, and you want me to have a little part in giving you something. You're the king of the universe. All the kingdoms are yours. Could you imagine saying, I gave the king of kings a little love gift, and he accepted it. You know, it was always risky when you were dating a girl, especially if you had to buy him something. You didn't want to look shabby, and you knew you were tight. <laughs> so I'd always put a pass by sis, how can I come out looking good with this girl? So she always helped me buy the gift. You know, you think, what could I give God and not look shabby? Give him your best. Give him yourself first. Did you know God wants your body? He wants to do something. Young people, hear me. I'm tired of telling you to flee sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're always on the negative. I want to tell you God wants to use your body. God wants to use you to change your generation. He wants to preach through you, teach through you, give through you. He wants you to go to the poor, to the ghetto, to the law. He wants to use you, honey. Don't throw your body on the trash heap of all the lust and the sins of our generation. Please know the master is waiting for you to say, you can have all of me, Lord. You can have all of me. 
and I'm not talking, saying, why not take all of me? We ought to sing that first to the Lord. Why not take all of me? He said, I will. And I could do more with you than you could ever do without me. I want to mold you. I want to use you to make a difference. Look at who they gave to. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom. You own everything. Watch this. Wealth and honor come from you. What in the world am I giving you an offering for? Well, I'm acknowledging my source. You see, uh, God is your source, isn't he not? Your job is a resource, but your job is not your source. Your job is your resource. You may lose your job, but you haven't lost your source. Is God the source? Don't make your boss the source. Don't make your job the... It's a channel that God may use. You know, I, I went into a slump when I first went on salary here in this church. Went several years. Uh, they gave love offerings, and they were bountiful. So I decided, well, we wanted to hire staff, and we wanted to expand. So I, I told the deacons a salary figure. Not them. They were much more gracious. I was zealous and really put a low one and careless as I should have been there. And uh, so uh, when I went on that salary, though, what I loved in the five years before that, every Sunday was adventure for me to go to church. I would pray about our needs, and I would hope, because they just gave it in a box in the back, and they would designate if it was pastor support. And it was kind of a romance every week to see what I would get. Sometimes it'd be $75, but boy, it might be 400 I mean, it, my church attendance was the best in those days. I never missed. <laughs> I want to see what's in the box. <laughs> They'd add it up at the end of the day. But then I went on a salary, and I knew exactly what I'd get every week. That sounds wonderful, but it, it depressed me. Because the other I used to bound in. And... I was having a prayer meeting talking to the Lord about it. And he gave me this kind of a vision. You know what? All you see is this one pipeline coming in your life, and it's called Valley Bible Church. They write you a check to sustain you. And you've turned them into the ultimate source. And God showed me I've got a lot more pipelines I still want, I get in your life. Uh, that little check you get at Valley isn't the end of my resources. I got all kinds of sources. And God just showed me Valley just won. You see, if you don't want me here as a pastor, God's my source. The one that called me will take me somewhere. I'm not as threatening because I'm getting older. But you know what? Don't need to be a slave to a church when you've been called from above. No, no, I'm your responsibility. I said yes to you. I didn't say yes to a board. No board around here called me. You don't like that. You think I'm being arrogant. I'm speaking with conviction. I'm not here for a vocational track. I'm here because God sent me. God sent me. And my only ambition is to say yes to the Lord. That's the only thing I want to do in life. Is whatever you want, Lord, I want to say yes. You remember what Jesus said? Whatever he saith unto you, do it. 
I was just praying yesterday. I don't have any ambitions to build this or own that or have this much money or go to... It, it's nice, but the ambition of my life is to be well-pleasing to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who they were giving to is what was behind the offering, why they gave. Give because God is your father, because God is your provider. God is your creator. It's just a way to say, thank you, God, for including me in your plan. And then I finally say the, the thing that grips me so much, finally, who is it that's giving this offering? And I just focus on David. First uh, Samuel 16, he's not even invited by his own father to come to the lineup because his father doesn't think he's got a boy that would be the king of Israel. Don't even invite him to come to the, when Samuel shows up. So he wasn't thought too highly of. Chapter 17, when he goes down to see his brothers and he takes on Goliath, they upbraid him. They don't like him. They see him as an arrogant young man. No respect, no love. Uh, by the time you go from 17 to 18, 19 of Samuel, he's playing the instrument for Saul when he's under demon oppression. And Saul throws a spear at him twice to kill him, and God spares the boy. He marries Saul's uh, daughter, and uh, Saul sends men to kill him while he's sleeping in the bed. And his wife made a mannequin that looked like a man in bed, and they thought they had David, but she put him outside the window and he escaped. His own son rises up against him, and he flees down to Jordan, and Ahithophel gives the counsel that would have got David killed, but God turned his counsel to folly. They wouldn't listen to it. They followed what Hushai said. He sleeps in caves in Adullam down by the Dead Sea, which is arid, which is desolate. The wadis are dangerous. Bishop Pike was washed away in one of those wadis. A little bit of rain and boom, it just washed you out. You don't know how a bush even grows. He's hiding. He's running. He goes over to Gath and he's putting saliva all over the wall to play like a fool so that the king of the Philistines don't kill him. God rescues him. He goes back to Ziglag after a raiding party has stolen his wives, his goods, and his men's stuff, and all the men rise up to kill him. God rescues him over and over, and all of a sudden he said, here I am sitting in a palace. I've lived on the desert floor. I've lived in caves. I've run for my life. I've got over walls at night. I've been a hunted dog. He told Saul, why do you chase a dog? Why do you chase a flea? This is who is given the gift. And you know what I think who gives the money around here? Some of you were thieves. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were poor, broke, every category of background, and all of a sudden, Christ saves you, brings you to himself, and then all of a sudden you hear, you want me to give the God that rescued me something? 
who am I? Who am I? Listen, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? I love, we used to sing a little chorus, stolen from our black brothers. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for you brought me from a mighty long way. You've been my lawyer. You've been my doctor. You've been my mother, my brother, too. For you brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. Any black folks know that? We stole it from your people. See, you brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. I'm not in Mississippi picking cotton and getting no wages. I've escaped through Emancipation Proclamation and years of my people being oppressed. And finally, I'm in the Bay Area. I got a job. I don't have to be called a bad name. I'm getting some dignity. I'm actually, I'm actually buying a house. I just lived on a shanty when I was down in Mississippi. My people, my dad, when he fled Kansas in the 30s, had already buried two boys, two fresh graves, put my brother Paul and Hazel on a Greyhound bus, asked the bus driver, could you drive me to the edge of town? I can't afford a ticket, but I don't want to my neighbors to see me walk out of town. If you just dropped me out on the edge of El Dorado, $5, and told my mother and its two children, I'll see you in California. 19, what? 1935. There was a depression going on. He'd been burning tires and living on salt and bread until church people brought food by cast out the insurance policy to bury my brother, brother Lawrence John Jr. and Monty Ray, and had enough money left to buy my mother a ticket. Nurse Paul on the bus coming across, her breast had dried up, but the boy was hungry, so she tried to nurse him on breast that should have not been nursing. The bus driver, two ladies and a bus driver began to buy my mother breakfast coming across because she never got off the bus. She had no money. And two little women said, ma'am, you never get off the bus. You never get off the bus. My mother was a proud little Irish woman. No, it's okay. We don't, we don't need to get off. She said, we're buying you breakfast at the next stop. And the bus drivers, they came into California going over the grapevine. He said, little mother, I'm going to buy you breakfast in Bakersfield. That's how my brother Paul and Hazel got to this state. They came broke. My brother David was pulled on the back of a cotton sack in the heat of the Fresno Valley. You don't have to be black to be poor, folks. I said, you don't have to be black to be poor. We were poor. We are barely making it. That's why I love black folks so much. They're our neighbors. We were all in the same plot. We were broke. We were white trash in a state that didn't welcome Okies. But Will Rogers said the IQ of both states went up 20% when the Okies came here. 
So we helped out California. They needed some IQ. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying when we gave in this offering, I put more money in this church a year than my daddy made in 10 years. I give away more money than my daddy ever saw. Just a poor boy. Work a dollar a day for a dollar an hour. If he got that, that was millennial. Because he's poor, he's broke, and he wasn't stupid, had a great mind. But you know what? When us Howards and us redeemed people get to give an offering, I want to say, who am I? Who are my people? Who are we in this little church that came out of a dance hall? Who are we that we can give God anything? Oh, I'm going to give until I see him, as long as he trusts me with it. And I'm going to give, and I'm going to thank him. I'm going to thank him. You brought me from a mighty, mighty long way, Lord. You brought my people from a mighty long way. We came from nothing. We came broke, but Jesus would have us. And you know what's so beautiful? Malcolm brought it to my attention. David said, when I build this temple, I got a spot I want it built. And if you read the Chronicles, the wrath of God was coming against David for numbering the children of Israel. God killed 70,000 of their men. David went down to buy the property of Aaronah. And he went there. He said, I want to buy your property and make a sacrifice to God. He's eliminating the nation. He's, the wrath of God is against me. I want to atone for my sin and ask God's help. You know what? Aaron, I wanted to give it to him. He said, no, I won't take something you give to me. I will not offer God that which costs me nothing. And so he buys it from him. He slays the animals. They build an altar. And if you read the narrative, it says at that point, the angel of the Lord took his sword and he put it in the sheath. He stopped right there at the threshing floor of Aaronah. David said, 1 Chronicles 17, this is where, 1 Chronicles 22, this is where I want to build a temple to God, the place where the wrath of God stopped. And for me, I want to do all my giving at the foot of the cross where God's sword against me finally was plunged in the sight of my Savior. His wrath will never touch me again. It stopped at the cross. It stopped at Jesus. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow.